Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Here we go in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. And joining us today, folks, is the CEO of C-Note. Please welcome Ms. Kat Berman. Kat, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. So we're just getting back from the holiday season. You were telling us earlier, you went up to the mountains. Are you an outdoor advocate? Do you just like going to the mountains? Like what is what does Kat Berman like doing in, in her off time? Yeah, absolutely love nature, both the mountains and the sea. So um, if you can get me near trees or a body of water, I'm a happy person. So based in Oakland, California, are you from that area? Tell me a little bit more about uh, just Northern California and, and what brought you to that area. Yeah, I'm actually not. Um, I grew up in Southern California, went out school, uh, went to school out east and then lived in about five countries before I settled in the Bay Area. And what really drew me was social enterprise. Um, so before social enterprise was a term and that's going to date myself, um, I always had a passion for both business and purpose. And I really struggled um, early in my career because I would go into for-profit companies and create their nonprofit subsidiary, or I'd go into nonprofit um, organizations and create their um, sustainable business line. And really, I really struggled to find kind of the nexus of those two worlds until this concept of social enterprise became more and more popular. And fortunately for me, um, I ended up getting introduced uh, to some of the folks at Goodwill, which is one of the original social enterprises. 
and got to learn quite a bit about how you do how you really run a purposeful um, business. Um, and so what ended up going back to school, getting my MBA really focused on social ventures. Um, and at the time, you know, San Francisco was the hotbed for social ventures. Uh, so if you were looking to do a for-profit company with meaning um, and purpose, some of the most creative ideas and exciting companies were based out here in Northern California. And that's really how I ended up here. It seems to be the mecca, really, of innovation <laughs> and social enterprises and impact-oriented companies, which are new to a lot of people. So, Kat, my question for you is this, is, you know, if I'm on a holiday party to kind of keep with this theme and, you know, grandpa comes over to me and we start talking about impact companies and say, hey, you know, I work for an impact company or a social enterprise, how would you describe that? Yeah, I, I mean, there are two types of social enterprises we typically talk about. We talk about those that are for-profit companies that have a underlying mission. Uh, and sometimes that mission is very obvious and sometimes that mission is behind the scenes, but it is a centerpiece of why that company exists is to really fulfill that um, purpose. And sometimes it's a nonprofit um, organization that has found some type of sustainable revenue stream using market forces. So I actually think there's you know, quite a bit of optionality and everything in between. Uh, hybrids now are quite popular as well. There's all kinds of different legal structures, but traditionally you'll find, you know, purpose is, is the common theme and then some type of legal structure that makes it work. And for your model specifically, I'd love for you to just kind of touch on that about decision to create, you know, an impact oriented uh, intermediary uh, for institutions and investors who may want to have more meaning or create change with their dollars and their investments. Like walk me into the origin story a little bit more about C-Note and, and how this business came to be. Sure. Um, you know, several years ago, I was working in with, for a very large financial institution in San Francisco. And again, similar vein, I was already working with their, not only just on their traditional business side and the strategy analytics uh, division, but also working with their community development side, really trying to figure out how we could do more around financial literacy. And while I loved finance and found finance fascinating and still do to date, it just became so evident um, that this wealth gap we were experiencing in the United States was turning into wealth chasm, um, just disproportionately affecting communities of color, low-income communities. And here I was, a woman in finance, um, creating more and more products to make wealthy people wealthier. And so the aha moment for me was, how can we use finance as a tool for change to really increase the pie for everybody? And I started brainstorming and bringing in some friends of mine to understand what was already happening. What could I learn? Where were the bright spots? Um, and fortunately, I had uh, quite a few friends in the community finance space and specifically in the CDFI or community development financial institution space. And I sat down with them and I said, you know, you all have been on the front lines of economic justice for decades. This is not new this gap turning into a chasm, this need for economic opportunity in all corners of the country. You know, what are you seeing and what do you need more of if you truly were to um, address this gap to the way you'd want to see it? And they said pretty consistently um, to me, they said, you know, one is visibility. Most folks don't even know we exist. Two is fair capital, right? We still see such a dearth of capital where it's needed most. So how do we get more and more capital into communities? in a fair and responsible way. And then three is obviously the infrastructure to do this. 
um, at scale so that it's not you know a one-off type of support that this industry could get, but really a long-term um, business as usual. This is now how we think about um, our economy is incorporating the mechanism of community finance. And so I thought that was exciting and an, and an amazing challenge. And so I brought in a good friend of mine who also was a woman in finance, brilliant woman named Yulia Tarasova. Um, we've been friends for years. She was also very passionate about economic justice. And I said, what do you think about doing something innovative around community finance and really heeding that call for more visibility, for more capital, um, for more infrastructure in the space to really support this amazing network of economic justice champions. And she said, I'm in. And so fortunately, um, we started on this campaign together. Um, we left our finance day job to start CNOTE and really on this mission to create greater economic justice throughout the country using finance as a tool for change, financial innovation, financial innovation as a real tool for change. The how we did it was, again, with the commitment to community finance. On one side, you see these amazing organizations that range from a CDFI loan phone in Detroit to a community bank in Florida to a um, woman-led credit union in Oakland. So you see all these amazing community finance institutions and connecting them to this massive impact investment space. Um, and you know, we've seen the rise of impact investors for years now, um, but you know, the area that we haven't seen as much growth or visibility is around cash or deposits. And so how do we really unlock the opportunity to move cash and fixed income from impact investors into these incredible institutions? Um, the answer became very clear. There was a need for visibility. There was a need for technology. There was need for infrastructure, and so that's really what we've created at CNOTE. It's it's incredible, an incredible story, an incredible feat, um, and just the fact that you know a lot of people talk about these things, but you you took action uh, on this matter. You started a company. You you put in the work. You had those conversations, um, and now you're seeing the results of all that work that's been paid off. My question to you is this: You keep on um, throwing out this term. I think it was economic justice is the mm. term. Mm -hmm. And in order for that term to to have the word justice in it, it means that something is either suppressed or um, has not been, uh, I guess, or I guess has been marginalized. Like, help me understand it for folks out there listening to this. What is that pain point? What is that need that's out there? When you say the word economic justice, what is being um, suppressed? Yeah, I mean, I think it gets to the to the heart of the inequity that exists around across the country and frankly around the world, right? That um, it is, it is. I call it the, the the birth lottery. You know, Warren Buffett has his own term with a lot of different ways to describe it. But you know, to whom you're born, where you're born, color of your skin, all determine, right? How hard or how easy it's likely going to be for you to have economic freedom, right? And that's that is um, a very sad um, and unfair. Uh, experience that uh, I'd say a vast uh, majority of Americans have experienced. Um, and so how do we, we really combat some of the structures that have supported that for years? Um, and we do it by really unlocking new opportunity, new access to financial freedom. But back to your question, it's really the reality that depending on, you know, who you're born to, where you wake up in the morning, right? Various factors, many of which are outside of your control, it can set the stage, right? It can be a snowball of either opportunities you'll never have or doors, right, that are constantly shut. 
Um, and so what our hope with economic justice is to really stop that tide, is to really kill that lottery system and say, in fact, everyone should have a, have an opportunity to experience financial freedom. Everybody should have an opportunity to get fair access to capital. Um, we know home ownership and entrepreneurship are two uh, major vehicles for economic freedom. And yet we also know that not everyone has equal access to those vehicles. So using some of those very basic principles, we think about, well, how do we unlock capital at scale? How do we provide fair access to both um, economic opportunity and network opportunity? And so those are some of the things that we work on as we think about really moving towards a place of economic justice. It's, it's really helpful. And I think what might be even more helpful for folks listening out there like you know this makes a lot of sense but of course this has been a thing since the beginning of time right you know this this lottery this idea this um this idea of people are, are born with inequity in, in the world um and, and what a massive feat to to take on something like this but i want to make a, a contribution help me understand a little bit more about a cdfi you mentioned a you know community development financial institution who are they providing loans to? And talk about a little bit uh, more about those BIPOC communities, those entrepreneurs, someone, maybe a story that you've worked with that comes to mind that can help that listener out there listening to this, that can help them understand, you know, this is where the opportunity lies. Yeah, um, a lot, a lot of stories, but let me give you one of my favorites, which is an incredible um, entrepreneur based out of the South named Terry Nichelle, um, who was actually a lawyer by trade, um, wanted to um, do something different as she saw more and more um, young, uh, young students, children um, of color who reminded her of herself. And, you know, as she saw the different types of toys, the different type of kits, the different type of things that were being offered in her community, she realized you can only be what you can see. And she didn't see a lot of um, toys or dolls or any type of representation of what a person of color innovator looked like, or what a person of color scientist looked like. And so she had this great concept of creating essentially a toy box or a toy kit that could be mailed to um, communities of color to help teach children all of the different types of um, innovators and creators and just legendary um, uh, professionals that have emerged out of communities of color so that, again, these children could see it, could experience it, could learn about it, and could dream it for themselves. And so it was a beautiful concept, um, incredible entrepreneurial idea. But as you and I both know, to launch an entre entrepreneurial idea, especially one like this, you need capital. And so when she went to her local bank to get capital, to get a loan to start that business, like many entrepreneurs, um, she was declined. And so we see this actually happen again and again, um, the, the story of not getting access to capital, the, the, um, you know, the tales of, of having good credit or you know, you know, maybe having a thin file that wasn't thick enough for the bank or, or again, just not create, having enough revenue. There's a lot of reasons banks say no, um, but the reality is if you can't get access to that capital, you can't move forward. And so delighted to say in this story, she was able to actually um, work with a local CDFI that did get her a chance, that give, to give her access to capital, that allowed her to grow her business and really access that next level capital to grow what is, to grow what is now Brown Toy Box. I hope you all will go visit her website. Um, like I said, she's phenomenal. The company is in, inspiring. Um, it is, it is, uh, has such a strong mission, such a strong um, societal focus, 
and is just an example of what happens when you give a woman, and more specifically, a woman of color, right, an opportunity to do something around her dream. And so that's one example. We have thousands of those examples. And frankly, those examples happen daily across the country. You just don't often hear about them because, again, what happens is oftentimes that entrepreneur or that prospect entrepreneur is declined or told not now or told come back later. And, you know, that doesn't make the front page story. Um, but, but, but what if they did? What if they did get access to that opportunity? What if they did get access? What would that look like in terms of the innovations we would see in our economy? What would that look like in terms of the equity uh, and the fairness of access to capital that we'd see? So those are the things that our CDFI friends work on. Um, CDFIs come in a whole host of different structures. So CDFI loan funds um, are um, uh, unre un unregulated, non-regulated um, loan funds, so essentially debt vehicles. Um, and then there's also CDFI banks and CDFI credit unions. Um, I will tell you, our network that we look that we work with at Cino is a platform of over 2,000 of these incredible organizations. So we host over 2,000 incredible um, community finance institutions. Like I said, those include low-income designated credit unions. Those include CDFI loan funds. And with those great community finance institutions across the country, it means that we can really match the investment with the need, right? We don't have to just go to the largest organization that everybody knows. We don't have to just say, we only work in California, right? We acknowledge the fact that need is everywhere. And sometimes it can be hard to find. Sometimes the organization or the, you know, the small credit union that needs your deposit the most will never have the marketing budget to tell you that. And so how do we really use the power of technology and data to cross that bridge so that those impact investors like we work with, ranging from Apple to Netflix to Merck, those who are looking to use their balance sheet for good and deposits for good can really put the money for use to use and put those deposits out there where they're needed most and don't need to hire five more people to do it or, or you know, take an educated guess of if their money is actually going to go for good. That makes sense. So if I'm hearing you right, um, you help marginalized entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who otherwise would have been denied or not received capital connect with other CDFIs or impact investors to get them the capital that they need. So you are essentially the intermediary between the entrepreneur and the, the fund or the, the money or the institution. Actually, we're one, we're, we're one step before that. So we are the platform between the large impact investor and those community finance institutions. So those community finance institutions are already working with incredible entrepreneurs, mm. and they're going out and finding those Terry Nichelles. They're going out and finding those Janine Motins, these incredible um, entrepreneurs who are often not given that shot. Um, but they cannot help her without the capital, okay. period. And so our job at Cino is to find those awesome impact investors. And sometimes they're great foundations like East Bay Community Foundation or Women's Foundation of California. Sometimes they're great corporations like Patagonia or, you know, Merck. Um, sometimes they're family offices and sometimes they're people like you and me. Mm -hmm. But just, you know, regardless of the flavor of impact investor, our job is to have a seamless platform and a very transparent way to move that cash where it's needed most so that those entrepreneurs, right, can get that first shot um, of capital so that a low-income family that's never owned a home, their own home, can get an affordable mortgage and get their first um, shot at home ownership. Okay. So there's a lot of opportunity out there, but you can't move the ball forward without the capital.
Okay, got it. So helping the CDFI funds raise money to help get that money to those entrepreneurs. Okay, Correct. Exactly. So what makes a good strategic partner for these CDFIs? Like in your experience and with all these connections, like what's been working for you and, and what has what made like a, a good partnership? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll tell you something that I think we do quite differently that I'm really proud of, which is from the get-go, we really desired to challenge the power dynamic around finance. And by that, I mean, historically, many of these organizations, you know, would receive capital and the power really laid, you know, was really just embedded in the investors. And so if the investors said, jump, you know, and this, the community finance organization had to say how high and the terms are really around what the investor needed. And where that's most problematic is, of course, impact. Because we would argue no one knows what's going to move the needle for community like that community organization. Sitting in a boardroom across the country, you can certainly hypothesize what matters. But at the end of the day, that community finance organization is sitting there day over day and understands where the money needs to go and how it's going to generate positive impact. And so in the onset, we really decided to pursue what we call the community first framework, which is co-create this with these community finance institutions so that we knew what we're creating was scalable, what we are creating was truly going to drive sustainable change within those organizations, what we are creating was not a burden to them and their existing organization, and that the metrics that we use, because we actually do impact reporting for all of our impact investment clients, the metrics that we use matter. They weren't developed randomly. They weren't, you know, just something that was greenwashing and, and was, you know, maybe going to be a nice PR bullet point. It was actually metrics that help us understand, are we making a difference with these deposits or with these fixed income instruments? Um, and so I think that community first framework, really putting community at the center of all our work and as a co-designer of our platform, I think has made a difference. And I think from a partnership perspective um, has, has helped us create a lot of togetherness and trust, you know, knowing that we're in this for the long game. This is not a problem that's going to be solved by 20, you know, by 2024. And so how do we think about um, how do we think about doing this in a sustainable way for the foreseeable future? I think that's really smart. And I'm really I'm just curious to know a little bit more about this impact measurement tool that you guys have created, because and you and I both know just like how many people are like trying to reinvent the wheel or recre recreate the wheel with like all of their impact metrics and what they deem as impact. Just curious to know like how you came upon this. Uh, impact measurement tools and what you guys measure when it comes to the community? Yeah, so because our focus is um, deposits and fixed income, we started from a very different place. So I think a lot of the impact sure. investors we work with, whether they're companies or foundations or individuals, we're very used to the splicing of ESG or, or public equities. But when you come to something like cash and fixed income, it's a whole nother world because it's very direct, right? It is okay, so you gave me X amount of deposits to move into community. What happened? Who did they fund? Who did they go to? How did that matter? And there's so much, you got it. There's so much opportunity for transparency, directness, that it really opened up our aperture of what type of impact reporting was possible and how much transparency was possible. So really, really exciting um, on that front. And so we actually work with our um, impact investor clients and provide them quarterly impact reporting. Um, and so, for example, you know, when Apple um, works with us and moves deposits, you know, we share every quarter. Here's how your deposits made a difference. You could have left them in a big bank. You could have left them in the money market. 
but you decided to move them into community, fully insured, right? So same FDIC coverage, but now going to work for community, now going to work for um, something that Apple values. Uh, and so with that, we can talk about, again, the geographies that they were able to um, penetrate and, and support. We can talk about the access to affordable products, like, like something like an auto loan, which many of your listeners may go, auto loan, how does that impact? But when a low-income community member receives an auto loan, it can, it can double or triple their monthly income just because they have access to new opportunities to employment. And so knowing some of these things that may not be evident, that can actually matter um, is key for us as we think about you know, what we measure and then what we report out to our corporate clients. But you know, again, really understanding um, where the dolls are going to whom, how they're affecting low to moderate income communities, how they're supporting BIPOC communities um, and other underestimated communities. Well, it's really helpful to understand and know kind of like what goes into those impact reports. I'm curious to like learn like what else you're hearing from those corporations or just those capital partners in terms of these reports. Are they interested to go deeper? Um, are they very receptive to these reports? Do they want negative impact on reports? Are they saying I might need some impact reports for my next capital raise or a loan? What are you kind of hearing from these capital partners about the importance of measuring your impact? Yeah, I think the first thing we learn is um, many of our, especially our, the companies that we work with, are shocked how powerful deposits are. So when you think about impact investing, right, you don't usually think about cash. You, you don't say, oh, you know, I'm going to do this ESG bond, and then I'm going to do this, you know, this green bond, and then a cash. And so I think when we can actually share with them both the metrics and the stories of how your deposits can transform communities I'd say that is one massive impact that happens across the board to most of our clients, but definitely our corporate clients who, who cannot believe how much good a simple moving your deposit from one container to another <laughs> can have. So I think that's one big thing. And then the second thing I'd say is doubling down. One thing we saw a lot in 2022, which is exciting, is corporations see this as a way to double down and foundations as well on the areas they specifically care about. So sometimes in investing, you're not given a breadth of choices. And so you could say, you know, for example, we care about the South and we care about racial justice in the South, but we know that we likely cannot find, you know, a massive scalable, you know, investment opportunity that just covers, right, you know, communities of color in the South. So we're going to have to dilute it a little bit, but that's not the case with deposits. And so, for example, we're working with one client right now that literally had a series of communities that they wanted to affect change in. Um, because that's where their clients were and that's where their employees were. And we can direct those deposits to those specific communities. We can direct them to the South. We can direct them, right, to communities of color there. And so I think the, the level of um, focus uh, and customization that you can do, um, you know, we have other clients that care about affordable housing, other clients that care about women's economic empowerment. And so depending on, you know, what um, theme or what impact you care about as a company or as a foundation to get to really uh, highlight that and use the power of your deposits, right, to illustrate that, I think is, is um, an exciting new tool in their toolkit. And, and it, like I shared, you know, a surprise for most of them. It's really interesting. And, you know, like the word I keep hearing, I guess, most frequently is community. And um, you know, obviously the CD advisor, best position to deploy that capital 
to entrepreneurs and people who can really make change, sustainable change within those communities. Um, a lot of people believe nowadays that, you know, community is another stakeholder in this whole thing. And that in order to have a successful business in the long term, you need to be really thinking about more than just profitability. Are you finding that you're only able to reach out to these investors if they believe the same thing? Or are you able to get investors and corporations like Apple to get on the, the wagon as well and say, you know, the community is something else that we know and believe that if we incorporate it into our business, that we will also see longer returns? Yeah, I think it really depends. Um, I will say a lot of our um, corporate clients care beyond just checking the box on ESG, right? So sure, this is a great ESG vehicle and you know your your board is going to be thrilled you did something more around ESG that was you know safe and insured and all that good stuff. Um, but I think the you know there's so many other interesting byproducts that come out of it, employee retention engage, engagement, right showing that you actually walk the walk. Um, across the firm, um, obviously, you know, deepening your values that relate to diversity, equity, inclusion. We work with a lot of corporations around DEI and those who are trying to do more and often just stop at human capital, right? They're like, okay, I've gotten, th I've gotten this done on the human capital side. What more can I do around DEI or diversity, equity, inclusion? And we become a really great partner for them to do more and really um, open up, you know, the opportunities. So I think they are expanding, you know, the business case, if you will, of why this is important. And I think that final leg you're highlighting is, is an important one, Kevin, which is um, there are companies, and I'm delighted to say there are companies now who really do see community as a stakeholder, who really do want to understand the community specifically that they work with or work for, how are they affecting them outside of just what they sell? Um, so I think um, I, I do see that as a growing trend. Um, and certainly some of our most innovative clients are doing that already. Kat, how has this approach shown up in your business? You know, let's talk about your operating model. Mm -hmm. um, if you'll impact as an operating system, like how has impact help you maybe gain a competitive advantage while also you know, delivering to make sure that you can pay for yourself? Yeah, well, you know, we've been an impact organization from day one, and I think that certainly has served us well. Um, we're a registered B Corp. We're a public benefit corporation. We are women-led. We are women-owned, and over 80% of our team are women and people of color. So we really do try to walk the walk in everything we do. Um, and where I think that's helpful, both from an ethical standpoint, because this is the business we want to run, but also for competitive standpoint is, you know, if you're if your company um, and you want to rely on a partner to do this and do this well, trust is the currency, right? You want to make sure not only that you've got a company that is proven, and fortunately we've been around for years, and as you know, we've got you know massive public companies as, as clients, um, but you also want to make sure they're authentic because it's not just a um, sleep at night risk, meaning, you know, I don't want to be using a platform that says they move money into community, but then I'm not quite sure they do, it's also a reputational risk, right? Now with the SEC growing more and more interested in disclosures, you know, the, the S is the next one, right? They're gonna lift the hood and say, what are, we, what are you doing around the S and ESG? Um, you know, more and more companies are saying, we need to get this right um, because it's the responsible thing to do, and it's also a, a reputational risk to do it wrong. And so I do think the fact that we've been doing this 
for years um, with a track record, um, with strong clients, and again, most importantly, with the trust of community, um, I think, you know, is a, is a differentiator. Specifically in this time, as you said, you know, I think we're going to just continue to see more and more people come out with impact or impact light products or impact or impact light platforms. And God bless. I want more money in community. So that's great. Um, but if you are trying to do this in a way that is sound and proven, um, you often want to work with folks who have created a platform, created a methodology, brought in industry experts and are trusted to do it. And I think all of that becomes a competitive advantage. I love that. And for anyone like just listening out there, they're interested in the work that you're doing. They, let's say they are running an impact company. Maybe they're starting one. Maybe they have another organization that's pretty big, but they're just, they're interested kind of in the space and kind of how this works. Like, to you, Ken, your experience, what's been the, I guess, unknowing or I guess unforeseen outcome that you've seen from creating an impact model that's mm. helped your business, whether it's the recruiting, sales, you name it? Yeah, I'd say a couple things. Um, I think one is you can really de redesign the how. Um, so for example, at C-Note, we have something called a design your life um, principle where everybody we recruit, we really encourage them to design, you know, to, to come into C-Note um, and design the life that they want to be living. And that may be working out of a cabin, you know, in the woods, that may be, you know, moving to Hawaii, um, because we um, don't, we have pockets of people throughout the country and really want to create economic opportunity everywhere. You know, we don't force them to come into, right, one place in Oakland, California, love it if they do. And we certainly have folks come in um, and get to see each other. But we really do support people to, you know, show up in their full sense, whether it's um, as a mother, whether it's as a certain ethnicity, whatever it is, and then also, you know, design that life that is going to be most meaningful for them. So I share that example because I do think um, when you're already doing crazy stuff, like let's transform finance and, you know, make sure that deposits are going into community for good, you have the opportunity to transform other things, right? Like how we do business, like where we do business, how we treat each other, what's our communication protocol. So I think those are some of the real exciting, um, you know, places to play when you're doing a, a social venture, when you're doing a purposeful company. Seems like you've built a really strong and unique culture um, that loves working with each other, has similar core values, um, which is great for any, any culture in, a, in an organization. I'm curious, just like Kat, like in your experience, what what is like that core motivation to keep these employees? Like, what do you think they're most motivated by? Is it their paycheck? Is it just being a mission-driven company like you? You made this shift now to this mission-oriented company. This is where you at, are at in your career. What do you think for business owners listening out there is like that core incentive that is going to keep uh, those employees engaged and retained? Well, I'll tell you because we ask. <laughs> We've actually asked our amazing team, and I want to just shout out to our incredible, incredible CNO team. Um, We've asked, and the two things that they've said very loud and clear of why they love working for CNOT and why they've stayed, and we're so, so grateful for both of those, is mission and culture. So mission, waking up every morning knowing you're doing something bigger than yourself. And in our case, we are all about intergenerational wealth transfer. So knowing that you get to work on something that literally can last for generations, can change the course of a person's life for generations to come. 
it's pretty powerful, right? And and can feel very different than knowing you're creating, you know, maybe something that someone's going to buy and dispose of in six months. So I do think the mission of what we're doing and the history that we're seeking to make goes a long way of folks really enjoying waking up and working for C-Note. But the second and no less is the culture. You know, once you get them in there, it's not just about, you know, appreciating that folks are also passionate about the mission. How do you create a culture that's positive, that's hardworking, where people enjoy working with each other? And I think that is a lot about, you know, recruiting the right talent, retaining the right talent. And one thing that I always say is treasuring. I really treasure our team and making sure they know how much we appreciate them um, and know how hard they work. So I think all of those things have created um, a, a culture that they like going to work and they like each other. And for that, again, just tremendous gratitude. Cal, I love the th answers you've been kind of uh, throwing out today have been very farsighted, uh, thinking long-term about these approaches, uh, doing things for history, intergenerational change. Um, you know, and leaving things better than you found it. Um, if you were to exit today, what would you want your legacy to be? Wow. To me, it's all about creating greater economic opportunity. So I come from a family that realized that here in the United States. Um, my family is Argentine. My abuelo made it in this country through entrepreneurship. Um, and that was a game changer for the, right, for, for my family. And so it's very close to home what the power of entre entrepreneurship can do, of what happens when someone gives you a chance. Um, and so seeing that um, really expand and grow and be more the norm, more the rule versus the exception that it is today. Um, if we can really create that debt and dramatically close the wealth gap, that would be the most meaningful legacy. Well, Kat, it's been a pleasure having you on this show. You've got a great culture going at CNO. You guys are doing incredible things in the world, making a difference and transforming lives. Let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? Mm. To me, a real leader is someone who leads through empathy, empowerment, and sustainability. I think empathy is key to really putting yourself in someone's shoes, understanding not just your customers, but all the stakeholders that are being impacted by your business. Um, I think it also brings in humility because none of us are doing this alone. And to do any type of long-term change, it creates, you need a team, an incredible team. Um, I think empowerment back to then, it's not just about you leading, it's about being able to bring out the best in others. And so really understanding how to motivate and how to really trust an incredible group of individuals to create that change. Um, and then of course, doing everything under this commitment of sustainability, that we've inherited this earth, we've inherited these, these gems, and how do we create more and more opportunity with that lens of sustainability, honoring each other as a society and honoring the ground upon which we walk. Kat, thank you so much for coming on today. For Kat Berman, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, lead through empathy, empowerment, and sustainability. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Kat.
Hey, Relators, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Relators.com today, you're gonna get the first 30 days for free where you're gonna be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.